the station where winners listen and listeners win. 99.1, the sports animal. Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Always a pleasure when we get to say hello to our good friend, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. He joins us for the remainder of the program. And if you have a question or comment about the rule book from this past weekend, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, one 656 9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how you doing? Doing well, Jimmy. How about you? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Got a couple of things to run by you. Uh, first, I want to start with this. I was watching a game between Arkansas State and Louisiana Monroe, and I wanted to get the take on this. So there was an onside kick in the game. Uh, the onside kick was attempted by Louisiana Monroe. Uh, on the onside kick, it hit the receive the um uh it, it hit one of their own players eight yards downfield before it had gone the necessary ten. So it hit the kicking team, one of their players on the leg, it bounced back about five to eight yards. A player from Arkansas State ran in, picked it up, took off running, and they blew the ball dead and said, No, you can't advance it. You can uh you get it where you recovered the ball by Arkansas State. I thought on a kickoff that the ball was live and could be advanced by either team. Is there a mitigating circumstance where if the ball is illegally touched before 10 yards, then you cannot advance it or not? Can you advance that ball? Well, uh, the first thing, the the uh, onside kick can't cannot be advanced by the kicking team. Right. This was he, the he, receiving team. Yeah. Okay. So, right. But anyway, even, even if the uh, – receivers touched the ball they could recover but not advance for the kickers but if the kickers touch it and it's not dead in other words if it's rolling around on the ground then the receivers may pick that ball up and and go away the rule is they can pick it up and return it uh, knowing that whatever happens to it then they can always take that ball at the spot of first touching so they run and fumble it Mm-hmm. and then the kicking team recovers. But because the kicking team touched it first before it went 10 yards, then then it would go back to that spot unless there was a foul on the play. There are several other things. Gotcha. Well, so in, in this case, though, you can advance. Given the example I gave you, then the receiving team should have been able to advance that ball, and it should not have been blown dead right. at the, the touch, recovery spot. The touching by the kickers should not make the ball dead. Okay. Yeah, well, now, now – it, the touch was not a part of the issue, but Brent Smith, I think, had a kick return on for a touchdown onside by South Carolina in Columbia way back when. Yeah, uh, if I remember, it was like 66 yards, something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it was an onside kick. He caught it, took off, went right between them for a touchdown. So Caught a true hop yeah. and just split the uh, the wave that was trying so to they recover were, it. They were, they were the receiving team at that case. Correct. Tennessee was yeah. the receiving I've team. I've seen that more than mm-hmm. once. Yeah, but. He, he charged it, got a good <laughs> hop, and boom, he was gone, and there Had was no gap, hope. And he was go- yeah. Everybody was going the other direction. Yeah. Didn't change directions. Yeah. So, okay. Let's get a call from Brandon, who joins us. Hello, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good, and I'm sure that this was probably asked, but I missed it. After the uh, the Alabama game, there was two um, 
two things that I completely do not understand, and I'm wondering how these referees, um, whether they get reprimanded or what, but, like, uh, we were at the goal line about to run a trick play. Our quarterback swings out, and then they stop the play for no apparent reason and then say, okay, go ahead. Like, that's one of my questions. Like, what what happened at that point? Like, what was the reason for their stoppage? And, like, okay, there was no reason for stoppage, and that's why they resumed play. So what happened at that uh, point? Okay, I've, I've reported on that earlier. Brandon, I know you can't listen you, uh, 24 hours a day, but we've reported on that. Here's what happened. There was, um, on the previous play, Tennessee snapped the ball at the 18-yard line, and there was pass interference on Marquez Callaway. So on the pass interference, as you know, if it's less than 15 yards, it's a spot foul. If it's more than 15 yards, then it's a 15-yard penalty, right? So on this particular play, the pass interference, 18-yard line line of scrimmage, 5-yard line is where the pass interference occurred. The officials second-guessed themselves on did they get the ball spotted correctly. So they that's what stopped the play, and that's what they did. They came over, to and, and when Jeremy Pruitt was like, why would you stop it, they came over and said, look, we weren't sure we spotted the ball correctly. We conferred about it. We were second-guessing ourselves if we had spotted it correctly. That's why we stopped the clock. So that's that's what okay. happened. Okay. Okay, and my, my second question is on the uh... – the unnecessary roughness when he was laying on the quarterback. I know that there was some people said, I think you might have said this to me, that the fact that he laid on him too long um, is what brought the rest attention. But, yes, in real time, it kind of did look like he was being a little unnecessary. But when you look at it on the replay, there was no unnecessary. He was watching the play. I mean, he had already – sacked the quarterback, and the quarterback got the ball away, but it was a legal hit. You know, there was nothing illegal about the hit. Um, he did sit there for a while, but it wasn't like he was sitting there, you know, in the guy's face talking trash. He was watching the play to see what had developed. And, yes, in real time, I mean, I could see that that, that ref could make that mistake. But, you know, when it comes to personal fouls like that, I mean, is it – is it not something that the SEC and not only that, but college football completely is trying to, especially 15-yard penalties, automatic first downs, that there could be human error? And I know that, you know, without these replays, there's always going to be human error. But why have the replays if we can't make it right? You know, I understand stoppage, commercials, time timelines and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that right there, in my mind, cost Tennessee a lot in that game well it hurt tennessee and i disagreed with the call brandon i thought what you could have done was the official should have come over and said hey i I don't want to see you do that again it was a very light push it did not deserve in my opinion a personal foul you could have had preventive officiating by just saying i don't want to see that again and and let it go now if he did it again okay but i i did not think that merited a flag my opinion yeah and when you take a look at the chuck that was delivered on brian mauer earlier in the game by an alabama defender i thought that was more egregious in terms of just completely and totally unnecessary it was it was certainly a much harder hit (laughs) the force of the hit was unquestionably harder the debate was whether he took one step or more Mm -hmm. if you take one step you're okay. And when I looked at it, I thought it was close between a step and a step and a half. But, uh, I, I, Brandon, I didn't agree with the call. I thought they should have let it go. I thought they should have told Taylor, we don't want you shoving the quarterback when you got up. But 
that that shove was not, in my uh, opinion, to the degree of calling a personal foul. He, he was just standing up, and I mean, his hand uh, happened to well, go on the. No, wait a minute. Now, he, there, I, was, there was some shove there when was he got up. As he got up, yeah, but it, it, it didn't. It didn't deserve a foul. But yes, yes, he he pushed the quarterback down a little bit when he got up. Uh, it, to me, it looked like he was using the quarterback as a stepping stone to help himself back up. Yeah, he did you with know, a little bit. Yeah, there, there might have been some shoving. Yeah, but there, he was yeah, using right. him to stand back up. Yeah. So anyway, but that, okay. that's just you know I see I see that in the NFL they're making a lot of changes to this stuff and I'm just wondering from um, the uh, you know the, the standpoint on NCAA whether coaches are going to get like one challenge or something like this. Okay, game, and that's a different conversation. Or... Yeah, whether or not they would get to challenge anything that's any penalty, whatever they want, pass interference, unnecessary roughness. Whether you were out of bounds or not, uh, I know that uh, Bill Belichick has proposed that they should be allowed a challenge to on any call that is made. Right now, we can only challenge certain calls, and right now, only certain calls are reviewable. Okay. Thanks for your time. Okay. Guys. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brandon. Let's go next to Corey. Hello, Corey. Hey, how are you guys tonight? Doing well, and yourself? I'm doing all right. Um, I was at the game the other night, and I was a little confused about something. Um, I, don't, I just think maybe I don't know the rule. Um, but uh, it was late in the game after – it was on the scoring drive that UAB had. Um, the first play after the long pass down the right sideline, um, the first play after that, uh, UAB breaks huddle, um, goes into their formation, and then – there's a player on their sideline walks onto the field and takes the place of the of a wide receiver who then walks off the field. But at that point, there were 12 players on the field. They broke huddle with those 12 players. Um, the the I'm not sure what his position is. The back judge, the one who's on the defensive side of the ball, steps up and um, stops play to allow Tennessee to make a substitution. However... I was wondering why that wasn't considered a substitution infraction by the offense, being that they had already broken the huddle with 11 men. Then they had 12 men on the field for about two seconds before that other player stepped off. Okay, Corey. The the way the rule reads, of course, you cannot have more than 11 players in the huddle uh, for more than three seconds. In other words, they give them three seconds to basically figure out who's coming out of the game. And when they do that, then the umpire, who's, he's in the middle of the defense, the umpire or the center judge now will come up and stand over the ball to give the opposing team a chance to, you know, substitute. And so they will give them basically three seconds to start the substitution process. Now, if the guy comes in, the rule is on a guy coming off the sidelines, he's not really in the huddle. But when they substitute there, then he evidently, which you you alluded to, he saw the substitution over there, so he came back up over the ball, and then that would give the opposing team, you know, three seconds to substitute again. Now keep in mind, if they keep the offense does that late in the game clock, uh, they could run the risk of getting a delay of game. Mm-hmm. So, right, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it was anywhere near that point, but I was just confused with the. Uh, with the way that uh, he came onto the field um, after they broke the huddle, and I wasn't aware of the rule, um, the, the letter of the law on that. Um, I do appreciate your time for 
let me know that. No problem. Thank you. Sure do appreciate right, you, you too. Thank you very much. 656-9900 if you have a question or comment for Gerald. 656-9900. Let's go next to Seth. Hello, Seth. How are you? Doing well, sir. How are you? Doing fine. Thank you. Um, my question is, uh, I believe it was first half of the game this Saturday, the late hit on uh, Trey Smith, the the guy hit him late. Um why was there not a uh, targeting foul onto that? Um, to me, it seemed textbook. Uh, he launched, led with the crown of the helmet. His crown, the crown of his helmet, did not make contact, but uh, he did launch. Um, you get Daniel Batuli kicked out of the Alabama game for making a tackle um, when the receiver was going down. Uh, really had no choice but to go low. Um, so where's the consistency there? Um, I'll touch on Batuli. Batuli could have tried to hit him with the shoulder, not the helmet. So I thought that targeting call was accurate. He led with the helmet when he went to make the tackle. He hit him on the crown of the helmet. So what he what he's got to do is turn the head a little bit. See what you're see what you're hitting. You didn't see what he was hitting because he hit him with the crown, or tried to lead with the shoulder. So um, now Seth, I think you hit on something, but Gerald, you can answer this. There was a guy that leaped at Trey Smith. He hit him late. He got flagged 15 yards. There was no targeting. Uh, but he didn't actually, in my opinion, hit Trey Smith helmet to helmet. Okay. Well, yeah. So if there was, if it wasn't crown of the helmet, uh, you know, they could hit helmets. He could go beside it, hit him in the shoulder. I didn't get to see the play itself. But if if it was not crown the helmet, you have to have all three of the the indicators of targeting, not just, you know, the launch. It could have been a launch or lowering his head, but if he didn't hit him with the crown of the helmet, if he hit him in the shoulder or something like that, then I, and you said they did call a late hit. Yeah, and it was obviously it was a late hit. And okay. they, called, they just didn't call targeting. Right. But I, I thought he shoved him. I didn't think he hit him crown of the helmet. Right. That was what I thought. Seth, isn't that what you saw? Yes, sir. There was no contact with the crown of the helmet, but I, I, I thought, and that's that's my ignorance on the on the the ruling. I thought if they launched and led with the crown of the helmet, that that fell under targeting. I didn't know there had to be contact with the crown. Right. No problem. You're not alone in not understanding targeting. There's a lot of people around that don't. That's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's Seth. It's a it's a hard one to figure out because we've. I've seen a lot of calls I thought should have been that weren't, and vice versa. Um, and you took part so. with another group of media members, uh, uh, and you, you you all were tested by Steve Shaw as to what was, what wasn't. Right. We did this in Destin at the SEC spring meetings. There were like 12 members of the media there, and, and he showed us maybe eight or ten plays. Not one play did we vote 12-0. There was a, diff, there was a difference on every play about what was or what wasn't targeting. So, Seth, it's not an easy call to make. But, uh, yeah, we, in the media, and I I missed two of them. I was embarrassed about that. I thought I knew the rule, but. You probably did pretty well. Ten, I, I was, it, Ten out of 12, that's pretty good. Or Whatever it was, yeah, yeah. I missed two of them, and I was like, yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, it, but, again, nobody out of the media, no, we didn't have a 12-0 vote on any of them. Not one. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay, thanks, Seth. Sure do appreciate it, Seth. We'll get a break. We've got more with Gerald Hodges to join us. 656-9900. 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. We work all day under a neon Budweiser sign. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. From the Budweiser studios of Cumulus Broadcasting, we are Sports Radio WNML. Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges as you listen to Sports Talk. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. Let's go to Steve. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm doing good, John. Thanks for taking my call. call. Yes, sir. I got a question. Who? Uh, what group officiated this week's game against UAB? Was that an SEC school or conference, the rest from the conference, or was it from their conference? I do not know. Um, I, I thought it was one of the better officiated it, games, it and I didn't a, see. I couldn't see an SEC. It was SEC by the on way. Their, it was okay. It was SEC because that was that was one of the best. I thought it was one of the better officiated games. You didn't have eighteen crazy replays and everything else. So I didn't know if that maybe we were just. I didn't know what conference had. I didn't know if on the road if they you bring your own. That's officiating a, crew or if the SEC plays somewhere that they, you know, you take yours if you're playing at Oregon. Uh, I didn't know how that works. Steve, it's uh, sometimes it's both. It just depends on how the contracts are drawn up between the two schools. Uh, typically, uh, well, say typically, but a lot of the times the visiting conference does furnish the officials and then the home conference would furnish the replay officials. But next year, there's a new rule change that uh, the visiting conference will furnish the officials and the replay officials. And, okay, because I, th- I thought it was actually to, to, to enjoy, of course, it's always nice when Tennessee wins because I'm a homer. But I thought the game, it, it flowed smoother this last week. Well, And it was just, it was nice to sit and go, Wow, that's nice not to have overturns and replays every time you turn around. Well, Steve, that you know, a lot of times that depends on how the game is being played, not necessarily, but uh, there are times that you go in and you, like you said, you have a very calm game, everything runs smooth, and then other times they just don't run as smooth. Joe, you've had games with Absolutely. no stoppages and some games with five to seven stoppages, right? Yeah, fortunately, yeah. I hadn't had seven yet, but I've had five uh-huh. and. Uh, you just never know. It's the old Forrest Gump deal. You sit down, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. When you open it up, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, the South Carolina game, I, I don't remember how many stoppages. There had to be more than seven stoppages. I don't know. There, were, the there, were, several, there were several back-to-back on, on scoring plays down near the goal line in the right. north end zone. And uh, now, in my opinion, although the stoppages can create a little bit of um, – Concern. I thought they got them all right, which is the bottom line. Well, I so, did. I, I do. But, I do believe that. I think they did get them correct. But it was. It just seemed like if you're just a fan sitting trying to watch the game, that my gosh, sometimes it's with especially off the commercials. 
get you going, man. Let's just wipe, play the game. Yeah. Let's go okay. back to 1980 and not worry about if an official makes a mistake or not. Let's just go with – let's just trust the game. But I appreciate your time. Thank All you right, very thank much. Thank you, Steve. Sure do appreciate right, it, bye-bye. Steve. Let's go next to Ken. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Ken. Hello. Hi. Hey, uh, did, you, did you did you get a chance to see the uh, Florida-Georgia game? I saw some of it, not all of it. In the in the first quarter, there was a play where uh, Georgia threw a ball, and the receiver kind of cradled it up underneath him, and as he caught it, he like rolled over, and the ball hit the ground twice, and then as he rolled over, the ball came out of his hand, and they called it a catch, and then they went to replay, and it was the and all and all the people on the TV is like, yeah, that, they're going to overturn that. That's not a catch. That's not a catch. That's not a catch. And then all of a sudden, and, I, and I'm looking at it, and they keep showing the play over and over. The ball clearly hits the ground twice, and as he rolls over, the 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 football comes comes out of his hands, and then he grabs it and 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 you know retains possession of it. And sure enough, they called it a they called it a catch. You know, uh, did you happen to see that play? No, I've heard about it. I never did see it, unfortunately. Uh, I need to go try to find it. Um, I, I will tell you what the rule is on that. If a player has control of the ball, a slight movement of the ball, even if it touches the ground, will not be considered loss of possession. He must lose control of the ball in order for there to be a loss of possession. Ken, since I didn't see it, I really don't know if there was loss of possession. But uh, this rule says that even if it touches the ground, it's not considered loss of possession. He has to lose control of the ball. So uh, I guess I need to go back and see it. I'd like to see that and see if they got yeah, it right. Because I, I, could, I, you know, I know the ground, you know, the ground thing is not that important, but when he, when he rolls over, the ball actually comes out of his hands and then he reaches up and grabs it again and pulls it back to it. So okay. is, the, is, is there two separate things there where – you know, like like if, like if the ball had, if the ball had never touched the ground, and and, it, and he and he loses control of it, and then still grabs it and pulls it back into him, I, you know, I understand that being a catch, but it just seemed like it, you know, in the you know in a in a complete motion that it, that it just wasn't a catch, and I don't know, um, you know, if, if the replay official saw that or you know what the was the who was the replay official on that one. Can't get into that. You can't get into that? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, but I appreciate it. Okay, thanks. I do have a question. Um, I do want to ask you about this, Gerald. In terms of um, when there is replay, uh, is that determination made by the replay official in the booth? Is it made by collaborative replay? Is it all four having to agree? What's the process? Well, the... The whole thing with collaborative replay, uh, the bottom line is the final the final say so is with the official in in the booth. That's the stadium. Uh, he does take input from uh, collaborative uh, replay in the video center, and uh, they look at all options and all you know all videos they have of it and that type of thing. And uh, it's a consensus type thing. Okay. Let's get a call from. Let's see. Let's go to Brian. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm 
great. You? Doing well. Thank you. Hey, I do, I do not want to offend anybody, but if anybody watched the game this past Saturday and did not realize we had the exact same crew they called the Alabama game, they either didn't watch the Alabama game or they were completely unoffended by the refereeing of the Alabama game. And I'll leave it at that. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay. All right. Let's go next to Tom. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Tom. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. I don't have anything as dramatic as the last caller, although I think it's what he said is interesting. But anyway, I want to go back to the Trey Smith situation that we were talking about earlier, that you all were talking about earlier, where he apparently got plowed by a a UAB player and there was some discussion whether or not it was targeting, whether or not it was personal foul, whatever it was. And, and the thing that I didn't hear anybody say was, was Trey Smith not a defenseless player at that point? Because he was sitting on his hands and his knees. Was he a defenseless player when he got hit on his hands and his knees? Gerald, did you Mr. see the play? I did not. Okay. It's my opinion he was defenseless. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I I think I agree with that, Jimmy, obviously. That's not the only <laughs> element of targeting, with... though. That's not Although, the... that's one of them. It is, it is one, one of them. them. You have to meet you all You start three. adding them up, right? You start yeah. adding them up, and... I think you have targeting in that situation. I but. don't. I don't because there was not contact with the guy's helmet by the offending so, player from UAB. So you have to have helmet to helmet contact to be targeting. Pretty much, absolutely. Or on a defenseless player, uh, it has to be contact, forcible contact, attacking with forcible contact. Uh, basically above the shoulders. So if the hit if the hit was in the shoulders then, you know, and it was not a crown of the helmet, then that would that would not meet all the criteria for targeting. Okay, well that that makes sense, Gerald, because it it was it was not above the shoulders, it was shoulder it was helmet to shoulder by the UAB player. So okay. I, I just I wanted to bring up the defenses player sure. aspect that's of it because I hadn't heard that's it before. A, that's a good point. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you very much, Tom. We'll get a break and be back with a final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk, another segment with Gerald. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Not so much our job as it is our obsession. 99.1, the sports animal. segment to today's edition of Sports Talk, a final segment with SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. 
do want to clarify with Brian's call, he said that the UAB game was officiated by the exact same crew that officiated the Alabama game. Uh, what you had was the same referee in Hubert Owens. You had the same umpire in Walt Hill. Every other member of the crew was different. So you did have two members that were, and I guess they would be the crew leaders that were the same, but you had five officials uh, that were different from the crew that did officiate Tennessee's trip to Tuscaloosa. So you had two yes, and then the other five no. Let's get a call from Bill. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Bill. Hello, gentlemen. I had a quick comment about the Trey Smith hit. Whatever happened to the concept of spearing? Is that rule gone now in college football? Where you take the helmet, the crown of the helmet, you plow it into someone in any part of the body? Well, that is now targeting. That is, it has to be crown of the helmet, but spearing is just the helmet to the other player's helmet, not to the other part of the any other part of the body. You're saying it has to be helmet to helmet spearing before it's called. Is that right? Well, the helmet. You can have what we used, and the, when I was coming up through there, Bill, we we had spearing, and uh, in a walk in a broad sense, spearing back then, it would, didn't necessarily have to be helmet to helmet. If you just plowed into a player on the ground, you know, then the, we would have called spearing then. So it's evolved basically into targeting, which is nine one three with the crown of the helmet, and that's as much to protect the tackler as it is, you know, the player that's getting getting hit. So it's still around. It's just called, you know, targeting with the crown, you know, with the crown of the helmet. How about the Big Ten officials coming down and do the SEC games? The SEC officials go up and do the Big Ten games. Think well, that'll ever work out? Well, it's awfully cold in Big Ten territory <laughs> this time of year, so I, the guys may not like that trade at all. But it's it's been discussed. We know there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy about the SEC office being in Birmingham. A lot of people think the calls against Alabama are very favorable. When they do call uh, penalties against them, they usually are used, they don't mean anything. Like the end of the quarter, they'll call a penalty or something like that. If you do the switch with the another conference, you don't have that controversy of saying, well, they're biased toward Alabama. A second question, um, do you think – the person that does the the analyst on TV who explains the officiating calls, I think it's ESPN. I've never heard him once, and I think he's a former SEC official. I've never heard him once go against the official call on the play. Is is he more of an apologist than he is an analyst? Well, that, I mean, that's everybody's opinion. Uh, that is uh, well, Matt Austin, but he was a very well thought of official in the SEC. So he, he never he never says anything about officials on the field, though. That's that's an apologist. That's not an analyst. Well, that's that's a matter of opinion. So you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. So I think so, I've heard him say I, I probably I wouldn't have called that. That's that's his way of saying he didn't like. Well, I, I saw. Well, let me give you an example. Of what I'm talking, about. I'll give you a concrete example. I think it was um, one of our players. It was uh, the senior bird who got hit, I think it was the South Carolina game, he got molested. And he says, well, I'm not sure that's targeting. It's an either-or call. And if you go back and look at the play, they missed the call. He would not fess up to it. He said, well, I can go either way. I have problems with that. You go back, and I know I'm a Tennessee homer. I'll admit it right now. But I've watched the South Carolina-Florida game. i watched the Tennessee-Alabama game. I've watched other games in the conference this season. I think there's some favoritism, and I think it would be better if the office – 
the SEC offense is going to stay in Birmingham, maybe to switch officials. If they're not going to leave Birmingham, maybe put it in a neutral place like Charlotte, move it to Nashville where it's more centrally located. It makes absolutely no sense other than the $1 rent thing that they get a year in their building. Yeah, that's all I had. Thank you. We do appreciate it. Let's go next to Lincoln. Hello, Lincoln. How's it going tonight? Doing well. How are you? Great, great. Uh, I had something I want to say, but kind of going off that last caller, uh, there's um, a term, a phrase that I've heard before, and it's the refs are calling it tight today. So does that mean that it's called differently than any other time? Could be that they're just being very painstaking in their approach. And, I mean, sometimes you can get a feel that, well, for instance, if you happen to see that there would be holding at the tail end of a play uh, or on the back end of a play that doesn't affect the the progress of the game, you can get a feel for a crew that's, quote-unquote, letting them play. Uh, If you do see uh, them just being letter of the law, then that would be their version of calling it tight. So it's just getting a feel. It's almost like whether or not you have a strike zone that is knees to shoulders, or it should, should be, say, from the top of the knees to the bottom of the armpits, or it's from two inches below the belt to two inches above the belt. I mean, it, you, you just get a feel for it as the game plays out. Okay. You still and, uh, have the, what the, I want... the crew is doing the same job that the other crew is doing. It's just it comes down to, Gerald, their interpretation of the game they're viewing and officiating. Right. And, they're, and you know, you'll get games that you you would probably have to stay on top of the players uh, if there's a lot of chit-chat going on that's not uh, PG, that type thing. We try to discourage that. So... It's kind of like basketball. When I worked basketball, uh, you would have you would call, and of course, in football, you've got pretty much different interpretations. But in the basketball, if it got really rough, you would see them, you know, maybe call a few more fouls and try to, you know, keep, you know, keep the game from getting out of control. But I don't think it's that bad in football. But uh, you just, you know, you just get a feel for what's going on on the field, and you do your best, you know, talk to the players and you know, kind of keep order. Okay, guys. And another thing I wanted to touch on was uh, I understand the players' safety, the hits to the head uh, need to go. Uh, and I'm pretty sure all you guys could agree on that, too. Yes, sir. Uh, well, why not let's, uh, let's get rid of the stiff arm? I've seen so many violent stiff arms that, I mean, it's, it's just just crazy. I mean, and if it's so – you know, about player safety, why not get rid of the stiff arm? I don't know if I've seen a stiff arm cause a concussion. Maybe that would be why. Could be, and that uh, is looked down. Granted, you were seeing more and more plays called on the offensive player when it comes to a stiff arm if he grabs the face mask and twists. Correct, that's Uh, right. But at the same time, he does have, essentially, in the view of the rule book, a right to defend himself. Right, as long as he uses the open hand on that face mask. Gerald, we appreciate it. Have a great week. Thank you. All right. And so Gerald's appearance is brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember football futures next.